What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sauced Up Salsa. And Sauced Up Salsa, with so many different flavors to choose from, when you add in their homemade chips, they're perfect for family nights, date nights, and really, anytime you need chips and salsa. The best part, I know the owner personally, and he puts all of his heart and soul into every recipe they put out. Their locally sourced ingredients are fire roasted to perfection every time, making it the best salsa you'll have in your life. So with the best salsa out there, what are you waiting for? Go visit saucedupsalsa.com and when you sign up for their newsletter, you'll get 10% off your order. So go visit saucedupsalsa.com and tell them that the Thinking Project sent you. Monday, Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope you guys are doing well. I have a treat of a guest for you today. But first, of course, as always, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and that you're tuned in. You can support the podcast by supporting our sponsors. That's really the best way to do it. Make sure that you're joining the newsletter and that you share this all with your friends. You know the spiel. So let me introduce my next guest, Dr. Kevin J. Payne, who is a social psychologist, entrepreneur, author, and a skydiver. Actually, you guys got to really stay tuned for this interview because he goes over some really awesome things, uh, stories about skydiving. Um, Actually, he's jumped over 600 times, uh, has a ton of certifications, and he's the author of Your Life lived well you can learn more about that book on yourlifelivedwell.co.co and we had an amazing conversation i'm i'm positive that you will thoroughly enjoy it so without further ado dr kevin payne and remember to share this with your friends welcome everybody this is don jensen and you're tuning into the thinking project We're rolling. Thanks for being here, Kevin. I appreciate well, it. Thank you for having me, Dalton. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to uh finally be sitting down. We scheduled this a while ago, but um it's been it's been a long time coming. So I, I'm I'm glad we get to do it. But a brief introduction of yourself on my end, social psychologist, entrepreneur, author. And I remember this topic came up in our in our pre-call was skydiving. You've done a lot of that in your life <laughs> 600 jumps and counting so wow. enough enough that i should probably know better but uh, you know still many so, more to go how, how did you get into skydiving after all of this after you know getting um after, after all of after all of your accomplishments you decided to skydive like pretty well seriously. i wanted to, i wanted to be a skydiver when i was a little kid so okay. i became fascinated with the idea back in the 70s and so I would climb everything I could and I'd go as high as I thought I could survive and I'd jump off. <laughs> I bent myself up pretty good sometimes and, and would make my own parachutes and they never worked very well. And, and <laughs> it's true. And, awesome. and so in the early 90s, uh, when I was working on my doctorate, I, I said, I've waited long enough. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been a bungee jumper. Because uh, I, I, I bungee jumped with the Oxford Danger Sport Club when I was an undergraduate there, and mm. uh, that was cool. It was a lot of fun, but it wasn't high enough. So, I, <laughs> I you know, in in the nineties, I, I I found a drop zone that was a couple hours away. That's where you jump out of planes, called a drop zone, and very evocative. <clears throat> and I took the training and got a handful of jumps in. And back then, you didn't start by doing a tandem jump typically right? because tandems were still pretty new and they, they weren't really common. So wow. skydiving tourism hadn't really started yet because they were invented in the eighties, but they didn't become really common until the two thousands. Okay. So you'd take the training, you put a parachute on, you'd go up in the plane, you'd hurt yourself out and you know, they would, uh, and if you and, lived, you lived and if you died, you died. <laughs> It was skydiving wow. used to be a lot a, a wilder and woolier sort of sport. And, wow! And like like most things, it's been a little more civilized recently. But, yeah, I was going to say because now now don't you have to tandem at at for a while before you you don't have to you don't okay. I mean it's a, it's not actually a regulation but most okay. people do and and okay. so then you then you go through something called AFF which I, I went through 
back then too. That's program's been around a while where you jump out with instructors, but they're not attached to you. Okay. So, so anyway, uh, did that. And then a lot of life got in the way, you know, I'm finishing my doctorate and career and family and kids. And eventually it was health. And I was finally diagnosed after years of a mystery illness with multiple sclerosis. Mm. And my MS took a nasty turn, and I gave up on the idea of ever going back to skydiving. And in fact, I said goodbye to a lot of things that I cared about in my life. And so, uh, flash where I'm sure we'll fill in some of these blanks later on. <laughs> yeah. but, but in 2019, then, I said, I, when I literally just hit rock bottom, I mean, <clears throat> career in shambles, family and abandoned me. Um, you know, I couldn't think my body wasn't working right. I could not see a path from the life I had to any kind of life I was interested in living. But I said, I'm going to give myself one more chance. I'm, I'm going to reclaim something that I've lost, that I really cared about, that I didn't really think, you know, I didn't know what I was going to be able to do. But I was going to give it a real shot. And and I knew I needed to become humble. And I needed to get a beginner's mindset again. And I needed to rebuild myself from scratch. So I decided to do that at Terminal Velocity. <laughs> wow. What, what made you go through that process? What, what made you think that it was time for you to reset? And, you, and in your words get more humility and go through, you know, that beginning phase again. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit that, that when I came into this world, I was relatively privileged. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, a devoted parents who wanted a big family, but they had me and uh, my, my dad, uh, when I was a little kid, he was a union truck driver, but he worked his way up through management and, and, you know, came, came a long way. And, and so was able to make, uh, you know, advantages for me. And, and, you know, my, my mother was very devoted. And so, I was interested in science and technology, so they made that available. I was interested in traveling, so they made that available. I was interested in the arts. So I grew up in music and theater and, you know, all that stuff. Hmm. So uh, I had opportunities, and I had lots of opportunities to get educated, and that's a real privilege. So <clears throat> when my body started going wonky, I don't know that I really had a lot of practice with adversity so that so that I had the best coping skills. And for a while, I did pretty well with it. But then when I had a few incidents where, you know, I would at random, I would I would end up paralyzed on the floor or I would try to think my way through a problem that I used to be able to do with no problem. And and now I couldn't. And it, it, it may be useful here for me to say a word about what multiple sclerosis is so that people understand, because MS is one of those that people have heard of, but they're not quite sure what it is. It's so, very, yeah, it's very mysterious. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and what it is, is an autoimmune condition. And my immune system is attacking my central nervous system. So it is actually eating away the myelin, which is a fatty protective layer around our neurons in our brain and our spinal cord. So the symptoms of MS can be pretty much anything because everything we do, think, feel, say goes through our brain and our spinal cord. So for me, for example, I've got balance issues. My legs get wonky. I can't feel my legs below my knees. But also... I have chronic fatigue. I have chronic pain. I am chronically dealing with fogginess in, in my forebrain. And then I have another 30 symptoms that come and go. 
at various times. And so with MS, with many of us, uh, it, 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 those symptoms, they intensify and then they relax. And, and uh, sometimes you can't predict what's going to happen. So it's a, it's a capricious thing. It's, it, it's really a difficult beast. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I have the, the experience that I have with MS is my aunt has it and a really, really good friend of mine has it as well and is dealing with it. So it is uh and it's, it's a uh, man, it's devastating and it's, but, uh, but you know what, every time I meet somebody with MS, I get inspired because of the strength and the courage that is shown there. Where do you think that, and, and I mean, with you as well, where do you think that comes well, from? Well, what choice do we have? Well, yeah. I mean, seriously, you know, it, it, it's, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm delighted if somebody is inspired or motivated, but I don't care. Sure. I, I'm just I'm just living my life and and trying to do the best I can with what I've got, and and for me doing what I do, I'm more what I'm really concerned about is what do we do after the inspiration fades. We are also brought to you guys by Monarch Social. Now, Monarch Social isn't just another social media marketing company because they're going to take care of you on all your digital marketing fronts from SEO to beautifully designed websites to custom videography. And if you want to know more about that, you got to check out the video they did for me uh, on the Thinking Project Facebook group um, because it was absolutely phenomenal. They absolutely killed it. Morgan and his team take really good care of you. They walk you through every step of the process and the communication is on point. So if you need a custom video, a beautifully designed website, if you need uh, custom social media ad campaigns, Monarch Socials, where it's at. They also have a podcast they release every Friday where they bring you a ton of value. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com, or you can find them wherever uh, you're on social media because they're probably there too. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com and get your digital marketing rolling. How do we stick in there and 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 do the hard things and so well, tell, yeah tell me more yeah so that's what i've devoted my research to and that's what your life lived well you know the podcast and the book and and the company and you know seminars that's what it's all about because you know as i said i was privileged and i had the opportunity to get really deep and wonky in a field i really care about and i got my doctorate in sociology and psychology so I, I specialize in social psychology, the study of the person in the situation. And all the way back in the 90s, when I was dealing with weird symptoms but hadn't been diagnosed, I started getting interested in a research question, why do some people succeed or fail under difficult circumstances? And so I started doing research in that area. And then that became really appropriate a few years later when I was diagnosed and my life took a real turn. And so I slightly altered that question to how can we live well, even when we've got something really bad forced into our life that we can't get away from? Mm. And that's the real key, because all of our natural strategies, you know, like our, our, our quote unquote fight or flight response, for example. Right. right. Okay. That's our acute stress response. And it's not really fear, it's actually challenge. And it's not really fight or flight. It's really more like freeze, front, flight, fight, fawn, flock, fright, faint. There's a whole bunch of Fs there. And so I call it the effort response. <laughs> but all of them are about getting distance between you and the thing that you find threatening. But with me, the thing that I find most terrifying in this world is in my body with me. I can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, right. so now all of the old strategies are out the window. Now, what am I going to do? And, and I was, you know, pretty much at a loss for, for a while. And, and, and so part of coming back to skydiving for me, it was it was an extreme exposure therapy, and and it wasn't. A lot of people will say, okay, they went to skydiving to face a fear, 
And for them, it's the fear of heights and the fear of falling and that sort of thing. That wasn't my fear because I had experience with it already and I, and I knew that I could handle that. So when I came back to skydiving after a 20-year break, it was because I was facing my fear of my body. And I was putting myself in a position where I had to literally save myself. And if you don't think that builds a certain amount of confidence that you can carry in the rest of the world, then, you know, I don't know. But if you, if you remember the picture on the cover of my book, and that picture tells this story. And, mm. and it took us eight jumps over six weeks to get this exact image because I had exactly oh, wow. what I wanted in mind. And so I'm in street clothes, so I'm not wearing a jumpsuit. I'm not wearing a helmet. I'm not wearing any of that stuff. It's just me in street clothes. When that picture is taken, I'm at 5,000 feet. And at 5,000 feet, I am, because you exit, we normally exit around 14,000. So yeah. I've been in free fall for about, you know, a little over a minute at this point. And 5,000 feet is high for an experienced skydiver to pull. Usually we pull down around three or 4,000 feet. But to get the image right, that's where I'm pulling here. So 5,000 feet, I'm headed to the Earth at 120 miles an hour. That means, in real terms, if I did nothing, I would live for 27 seconds. Oh, wow. I would impact the Earth, and the Earth would win 27 <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so what am I doing? I've got my hands up to my forehead like this, and I'm about to sweep them out in a broad gesture. And every skydiver in the world will recognize that gesture. And I explain it in the prologue. And, and what it is, is it's called the wave off. And what I'm doing is I'm warning everyone in my airspace that I am about to choose life. In the face of certain death, I am actively choosing life. And I'm going to deploy my parachute. And so that's what I do. You wave off and then you deploy. And, and I want everybody who, who, you know, engages with what I'm doing in any way to understand that I completely get it. When you get a diagnosis like this, you can feel like your life is in free fall, like you are completely out of control, like you are at the f mercy of forces that are so far bigger than you. But at this moment, you are actively choosing to save yourself because nobody else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a really powerful lesson. Yeah. Well, you were telling that story and I was like, dang, that's very accurate and a lot of truth, right? To be able to go through that experience and know the symbolism behind like actively choosing life. So you mentioned earlier that one of your questions around, you know, when you were getting your doctorate mm -hmm. was how you, it kind of evolved to this. How do you basically do what you did? Right. Like how mm -hmm. do you, how, so, so some people don't go skydiving. Right. 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 So, yeah. And, and so, so what is your, what, what is your, process or or what's kind of your your thesis well skydiving there? isn't yeah is not in, integral to the process i mean by sure. all means do it if you if you want to <laughs> and, and if you do hit me up and we'll go jump together here's what it was for me it was something that normally to get your a license in skydiving it takes 25 jumps okay and there's a little over 100 things you have to check off on your reference card uh, you know, just double checking skills before you get it it took me 47 jumps to get my A license. And the reason why were all those leg issues that I mentioned before. Right. Because if your legs are out of balance in free fall, you start spinning around. It's difficult to control, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So because I can't feel my legs below my knees, it took a lot of extra work and a lot of extra work on the ground and going to wind tunnels with an instructor who could hold my legs in exactly the right position and say, this is how they need to be. And so I had to be creative. I had to adapt. 
Because one of the things that we understand is that there are real limitations with a health condition. Mm -hmm. This is not some fluffy, smarmy BS mind over matter. Okay. (laughs) This is, of course, course. yeah, this is, there's, there are real things. Now, does mindset matter? Yes. Mindset does matter, but it cannot make fluffy bunnies and unicorns appear out of nowhere. So, so there are real limitations that we have to acknowledge. Now we can't get better unless we can really acknowledge where we are now. And that's why I said I had to become humble because for the previous 20 years, I had always been the expert in the room. I'd always Mm -hmm. been the professor or the expensive consultant or, you know, something like that. The guy with the answers. And I had come to a place in my life where all the things that I used to do that would work no longer worked. And that meant I had to take myself back to a beginner's mindset and rebuild myself from that very humble place. And so the first thing that I tell people if they're facing similar circumstances is be kind to yourself. Mm. No joke. Be kind to yourself because no one has trained you for this. No one, no one is prepared. I, and, and our whole medical system is built on an acute care model. The way each of us understands being sick, we learn implicitly as children from watching other people, and it's an acute care model. And what do we see? Somebody gets a flu or they break, or they break a leg or something like that. It's a medical problem. They get a medical solution. They sit around, they groan about it. They laze around for a bit. They feel better. (laughs) Everyone cuts them some slack for a bit, and then they go back to their normal life. But with a chronic health condition, medicine doesn't have a solution. If medicine had a solution, I wouldn't be chronic. Mm. There wouldn't be, you know, in in the U.S. alone, there are somewhere between 600,000 and and a million people with MS. 50% of all Americans have a chronic health diagnosis. Wow. 18% of us have five or more. Wow. In 2019, in the U.S., we spent about $3.8 billion, trillion dollars, with a T, on medical care. of that was for chronic health conditions. Holy cow. Yeah. This is massive. Yeah. And the system is at a loss to deal with it. And part of that is because I'm not going to be healthy in every way. But that doesn't mean that I can't do everything else possible to be healthy in every other way, to give myself, you know, all the ammunition I can. Mm-hmm. But what we need to be thinking about is not health, but quality of life. Am I living yeah. a good life? And, and we know what makes a quality life. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're healthy or not. What matters is, do you have experiences that make you feel happy, satisfied, functional, engaged, meaningful, and secure? Not all of them at the same time and not in any particular order, but you have to continually revisit those. So nobody on their deathbed ever said, gee, I wish I'd made more money. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Doesn't yeah, happen. I think you're right. Yeah. Life is about collecting experiences and certain kinds of experiences we really value and make us feel good. And, mm-hmm. and those experiences leave us feeling in those ways. And, and we know how we get them. We get them with other people. We get them in nature. We get them when we <laughs> do things and learn and grow and succeed. I mean, we know these things. Mm-hmm. We do not get them sitting for three hours, staring vacuously at a television and polishing off a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> right. We don't. Of course. Yeah, of course. So... 
so for me, skydiving was getting back to something that was going to challenge me. And so, you know, in 2019, I got my A and my B license. I, I logged about 140 jumps. In 2020, I set myself a bigger goal. And I said, I'm going to be a serious skydiver. And that meant crossing 500 jumps. Because 500 jumps mm -hmm. is where you have all the licenses and you are eligible for professional ratings in the, in the sport. Oh, so wow. to do that in 2020, I was going to need to, to log better than one jump a day for the entire year. So I logged 370 skydives in 2020. Oh my gosh. And got my coach rating along the way so that I could help. But this is really important because what I was doing was I was facing that fear and I was developing that confidence because fear lives inside the plane. When, so when you're up there and you're about to jump and, and they open that door for the first time, your eyes get really wide because suddenly all that light and all that wind stream into the, into the plane and you're like, whoa. But then you pass through that door, you pass through that fear, and there is such joy on the other side. And that's one of the things that we forget. How many times have you had experiences that you were <laughs> fearful about, that you were anxious about going into it? And then once you get into it, you're like, wow. Yeah, every this time I do one of these podcasts. Yeah. Every time I do it, yeah. I do every time I do a podcast episode. Yeah. Exactly. And that is an edge experience. That's how I define it in the book. It's an edge experience okay. where you take yourself to your limits of your capacity. Now, the cool thing about that is on the one hand, it trips your acute stress response, but not all stress is bad. Sure. There's good stress, you stress, and bad stress, distress. And they live right next to one another, right on, right at the edge. So you you got to you've got to time it just right, right? But if we and 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 not only you know the, so like doing a podcast is an edge experience, jumping out of an airplane is an edge experience. We have cognitive edges, we have emotional edges, we have behavioral edges, we have social edges. When we get close to somebody that that you know we we're, we're wondering if what this is going to turn into right and and yeah. and we have all of those things right and those are some of the most beautiful experiences we have as humans but we also have distress and and you can't live at the edge you can't live with your acute stress response all the time so what we have to understand is it's a cycle and you go to the edge <laughs> And then you have to take yourself back to what I call your home so that you can rest and relax and recuperate and recover and nourish and consolidate and grow and then go back out to the edge. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to you, you have to take frequent trips to the edge, but you also got to make sure one question that I had while you were talking about mm -hmm. quality of life and are you know the healthcare system and, and things like that and i'm not going to get too political but one of the ideas that i've kind of been playing with um mm -hmm. because one of my fascinations is is in philosophy and particularly mm -hmm. quality of life and and like stoicism and and things like this right not not sure. anything new mm -hmm. um not anything new but i'm curious because it seems to me like and I, and i love your thoughts on this cuz i could be totally off base it seems like the longer we live in years, the lower the quality of our life gets. Okay. So there's a, there's a, this is a really interesting question. And, and then I'm going to, after I answer this, I'm going to circle back to your stoics because okay. that's, a, that's, a, that's a great thing. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but, but there are two issues that we need to be concerned with. And one of them is, is really common in our discussion. And that's the idea of lifespan. So okay. how do we live longer? Okay. Now, I think at best, that's kind of a half-assed question. All right. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. You know, because, because what's really important is another concept that we don't talk about very often called health span. Right. So what we want to do is, yeah, maybe we want to live longer, but we want to push 
health span out for as large a percentage of our lifespan as we possibly can. So in other words, you want to live, 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 suddenly go downhill and go racing into the grave. Right. I, I right. mean, that's ideally, that's ideally yeah. what we want. Yeah, you want to go, go, so, go, and then just... Yeah, yeah. and just check out. Okay. See ya. Yeah, of um, course. But, but what that means is our healthcare system is not geared toward promoting that because we fundamentally have a sick care system. Yeah. And what we yeah. need, yeah, what we need is a wellness system. And we need a system that is supporting yeah. not health, but again, what I said before, quality of life. Right. And, and that means living a life that has those valuable experiences for yeah. people. Yeah. Now, and, and, now, now you're saying, you're saying, you know, health and, and quality of life. And I would, and I'm thinking, right. Like you, there is a point where you have to be, you have to, and you were saying, I think you were alluding to this earlier, but you've got to be at least some healthy to enjoy the quality oh, yeah, no, of life, right? No, no doubt about it. I, but what I'm saying is health is just one part sure, of quality of, of life. Okay. Of course. And, yeah. and, and, so, but, I, but I see what you're saying. So we focus so much on like this health and we live in our, in our healthcare system is more reactive than proactive most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're yeah. alluding to is like, we focus on the reactivity and the, and the health all, and all this stuff. And we avoid, or we miss, or maybe look past the mark of, of quality of life. Like, is this bringing me X, Y, Z? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it's, okay. and it's, we, nobody teaches us how to live well. That's and, fair. and you got to remember that half of all humans are below average. So if you're looking around at the people around you, chances are a good number <laughs> of them are kind of doing a, a cruddy job of being human. And yet, all of us think we do a pretty good job of it. Hey, I've, I've lived this far, right? And, right. And, <laughs> yeah. But we we do kind of an awful job because humans are not adapted to maximize. We're not adapted to optimize. We're adapted to satisfice. And what that is is a technical term for to do just good enough. Mm. And then we coast. Yeah. And that's there, there are good evolutionary reasons for that. But that doesn't lead to a good life. That just leads to an existence. Yeah. So so and then you're and and now we're getting into the conversation of how do you get out of that mediocrity and and how do we how do we get out of being good enough or or, or mm -hmm. Or coasting is what you said, because I think yeah. I think there is something, you know, good about understanding that in the moment you are enough and things like that. But you're saying just like, come, I think what the definitions were you're trying to is what I is what I had to learn. And that is the difference between like being complacent and content, like complacent yeah. Yeah. killed. That's right? A, that, right. Because contentment is is a great thing for a yeah. little bit. Sure. But I agree. You know, and, and what I'm saying also is not that you should strive to be 110% at everything <laughs> because that's silly. Yeah. What I'm saying is you should judiciously choose the things you want to really devote your efforts to and then be completely comfortable just doing okay at the other stuff. I see what you're saying. Okay. I see. That makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so be really, so in your case, be really, really good at skydiving. And, and that's, and that's what, that's what you picked. Everything else is, can fall into place, but skydiving is where I'm going to go 110. Yeah. Is it, you know, it's whatever it is, but, but the thing is, it's got to be something that contributes to one or more of those values. Right. Does it make you happy? 
Does it make you feel meaningful and connected to the world? Does it give you that that sense of being functional, that is having agency and some kind of influence or control in the world? Does it, you know, because those are the things that truly give us value in our lives. It's it's not just happiness. Right. Happiness is just is just one thing and happiness is fleeting. Because yeah. humans are wired to I can get like say the best ice cream in the world that I love. Yeah. And <laughs> after a little while I'm not going to want anymore. I'm going to be satiated. I'm I, I I just I have more ice cream and then I <laughs> I don't like it. And then I have more ice cream and now I'm feeling kind of sick about it. Right. Right. And, and humans are, are adapted to be that way. Nothing will ever keep us happy all the time. And, I see. If, you, and if you you frame your life opting to try to be happy all the time, it's going to suck because you're going to fail. Of course. Because your system will not allow you to be that way. Well, and on top of that, because I agree with you, hundred percent. I don't think happiness is the goal. I think no, it isn't. But but so many sure. of us in our culture, we say, yeah, we think. I just and, want to be happy and, all the time. It's like, well, I yeah, don't know no, if you don't. I don't know if that makes sense, though, right? Like, I, that's never resonated with me. Like, it hasn't with me be, either. Yeah, and it's not and, like and, I invite like negative experiences. Because goodness sure. knows I've had a bunch of them in my life, but, right. but but we have to be present and mindful and appreciate them for what they have, because they provide context, yeah, and meaning for the things that you value in your life. Right. Yeah, and and uh, with that too, it's it's like I like that you said that like it provides context. Um, and I just don't think you're ever going to get away with it. I think that if you like try to focus on being happy all the time, it's kind of one of those things that's like, you know, it be- it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, I'm going to force things to be happy. And then that opposite mm-hmm. happens because it right. ends up being like that. A- and on top of that, I mean, I know you wanted to come back to like the Stoics, but it's just a label that we place on. Th- it's an arbitrary label that we place on events in our life. like. If something yeah. is good or bad, it's, it's like that's depends, right? Like the famous right. accounting answer. <laughs> well, it's hey, I'm a scientist, and it's my favorite answer. Yeah, so, it just depends. Yeah, I don't, I yeah don't it depends. <laughs> and 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 one of the, I think one of the crucial things to to pull out of this is, and this, by the way, is something I keep going back to in the book, sure. and it's it's. There's there's kind of a common can't in our society right now. Oh, don't judge. Okay, okay? and people say don't judge me. You know, and <laughs> okay. and 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 it is impossible not to judge. Judging is at the core of being human. Judging keeps us alive. Yeah, but I hear, I hear you. What we have to do is we have to become better about which judgments we listen to and which ones we act on, because we've got we've got a society of mind in here. Uh-huh. There are lots of little characters making all kinds of judgments, right. and some of those judgments come from what I call our cave children. And they're they're really old and they're and they're and, uh, you know, they're really primitive and they they're great at making judgments that keep us safe from a saber toothed tiger rustling in the underbrush. But they suck at modern decision making. Yeah. And yet, yes, this primal basal part of our brain acts fast. Faster than our cognition. And when we feel fear, they're the ones that are driving. Right. And so that's why I want to come back to this, be kind to yourself. And the reason is 
if you want to change yourself, and most of us have something about ourselves that we want to change, that, right. that we think could be better. The first thing you have to realize is that change must come in really, really, really small increments, baby steps, humiliatingly small increments, <laughs> because changing right. a behavior, it's not just the behavior. The behavior that you see is the tip of an iceberg. And there is a whole cognitive network under that. It's doing identity work. <laughs> it's reinforced by habit and ritual and experience. Mm -hmm. And and to turn that giant iceberg around takes a lot of effort. And you're going to fail a lot because at the edge, you succeed, fail, succeed, fail, succeed, fail. <laughs> so one one way that you know that you are at an edge is when you become inconsistent. Because consistency, okay. when you learn something new, consistency is the last thing that comes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. means that you've now pushed that edge out just a little further. But if I try to, if I try a big stretch goal that's really far from where my current edge is. So if it's just a little bit, well, that's overwhelming and I'm going to fail. If it's, if it's a little bit further out, well, that's an injury. I'm going to hurt myself somehow, physically, cognitively, emotionally, whatever it is. Right. If it's too far out, that's traumatizing. That's what trauma is. And, and so we've got to pull ourselves in and work slowly and be more humble about it and take a longer period of time because we got to remember it's not that tiny little behavior we're changing. It's that giant iceberg underneath that we're right. trying to replace. Oh yeah. Good point. Good point. So, it, so, so yeah, so what you're saying, yeah. What you're saying is these incremental changes that we're trying to gain the consistency that we want to gain in life isn't about the actions. It's about overcoming all of the, all of the overload in our, in our yeah. past and our brain and things like that. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. And that, that probably answers the question of why so many people, you know, back to your original thesis question, right. Which is what, you know, why do some people, you know, make it and some people don't, I guess. And, and it's this sense of like, they know that they're overcoming something bigger than themselves bigger than the current and, situation. And, and, you know, I think you're, you're probably correct in that because it's that understanding in that kind of mindset that's really important. And the other thing too is, if you look at changing a behavior and you look at all the research and you pull it out and you categorize it, and I've done this, uh, and there are 150 different ways to change a behavior. <laughs> okay. And all of them will work for someone, but only some of them will work for you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's this it's this checks and balances game. It's this game of like, all right, right. that didn't work back to the drawing board. But 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 it's this but to keep but to keep the motivation means that you understand that, like, I'm just checking boxes and I'm experimenting and I'm trying to figure this out until something clicks. That's part of it. And the other okay. part is at the core of what I'm doing with yeah. Your Life Lived Well. And that is, we can, if we know enough about ourselves, we can make intelligent choices. And we can say, oh, for someone like me, in this circumstance, in this environment, with this kind of goal, this one, out of all the 150, is the one that is most likely to be successful for me. Right here, right. right now. And then if that doesn't work, here's the second most likely one for me. So that way it doesn't become this discouraging, you know, game of whack-a-mole as you're trying <laughs> to pick something that may or may not work. Right, you right, can, right. You can right, make right. more intelligent choices. And, you know, all of it, I mean, is really crucial. And and I am going to just slide back to stoicism just for one thing, Go because ahead. this is really cool. Skydiving for me is a memento more. Yeah. And memento more for, you know, for those who don't know, uh, is a is a stoic concept. And it's 
this idea that we should always remember death. We should always remember that we are uh, transient creatures in this space. And so skydivers, when we say goodbye to one another, we've got a phrase that we say. We say blue skies. And people think, oh, that's really sweet. But (laughs) that's only half of the phrase. The full phrase is blue skies, black death. Yeah. And what that means is we face the joy of the sky and the freedom of being able to track through the sky like Iron Man at 200 miles an hour. Yeah. And let me tell you, that is an amazing feeling. But the blue of the skies always incurs the risk of the black of the earth. Yeah. And the death that will meet us. (laughs) So every time I go out of an airplane at 14,000 feet, a little voice in the back of my head says 82 seconds. Because from 14,000 feet in 82 seconds, I will die if I do nothing. (laughs) That is awesome. I mean, it's just a crazy, cool concept to think about. You got you know, for you said 5,000 feet was what, 28 seconds or 27? 27, seconds? about 27. 20, yeah. 27. That's and, insane. And really depends. Yeah. But that's if yeah, you're falling yeah, in the yeah. belly. Like I like doing head down. That's one uh-huh. of my favorites. So we do free flying. So you like sit fly or stand yeah. fly or you like flip over. So you flip over and you go like it and you make yourself long and flat like an arrow and you just shoot yourself toward the earth as fast as you can. And so you can go from 120 miles an hour and accelerate over <laughs> 200 miles an hour in less than a second. Right. Just by changing Bam. your body. That's a, uh-huh. yeah, that's a great concept too. Mm-hmm. That's a great concept. Wow. Well, um, I got, I got a lot from our conversation. I really appreciate it. And yes, Memento Mori is a, is a good one. I mean, I, you can't see it, but I got the, I got the picture over here. I have, you know, um, I've got I've got them all because it's just a really good reminder, like and, and doing something that keeps you that close to the the idea that you can die, like keeps you that close to mortality mm-hmm. does the opposite of nihilism, does the opposite yeah, of like, exactly gives exactly. you this like doom and gloom. It like yeah. I, I it's invigorating. Like you're like, oh, oh, it truly is. And that's going to be it, okay, huh? so I'm, I'm going to add one thing I'm going to show you over here. So like yeah. right there, if you see on my wall. Those are my pirate swords. Uh-huh. I am a, a pirate character. And the thing that, that <laughs> oh, I love about pirates is that the Jolly Roger, the flag, you know, the death's head on the black field, uh-huh. doesn't mean what we think it means in our modern era. It was a memento mori. Yeah. This, this was a symbol well, of men who had been abandoned by the system and were choosing to make their own way in a really difficult world. Yeah. So I love being my pirate character. (laughs) This is Richard Nolan. It's a real man. (laughs) And you know, what's funny is like, it just goes back to that question that I had earlier that we, that we kind of walked through. And that is that we've gotten like, we've gotten longer. Like we've been able, like at this point in history, humans have lived longer than we've ever lived before. And we've also been, so that making it, further away from death than we've ever been like relatively right because what mm-hmm. was it 150 years ago 40 or 50 years now it's up to uh, 80 yeah. mid 40s yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so you have mid 40s and now we're up to like we've doubled that almost like i think we're close to like what 80 or something yeah so we've actually you know here's a scary thing in the last few years in the united states we've actually backslid just a little bit okay but but either way but it's still over 70 like yeah, I mean, for yeah, but either way, we've we've almost doubled our life expectancy yeah. and we've we've lost this concept of death for the most part and we've gone further away from it. And so people don't understand that, like, this was a real thing. This is like this is what kept us. Um, This is what drove like humans to, like, innovate and invent and discover and and voyage and things like that was this idea that, like, the clock started ticking the second we took our first breath and we've yeah. got to make every, every second count. And now it's like, we go to the hospital, we can be put on all of these things that prolong our, our physical life, but not our, not our healthy life and things like that. Right. Um, 
because because we've because we've gotten this idea that we're we're that far away from death and yeah nothing is there to like push us right the thing that we have to remember is humans are still uppity apes and (laughs) yeah and 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 we've got we've got these pretensions that we have divorced ourselves from the naturalness of our existence right and and we are still embodied creatures we have bodies that we can either that are always doing one or two things the living system is always either growing or atrophying one or the (laughs) other and if you don't if you don't regularly take yourself to your edge and allow yourself to rest and recover you will atrophy yeah i couldn't agree more I mean, it is what it is at that point. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's true. Well, thank because you. your system. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. Finish, finish. Go ahead. I was just going to say was, because your system will only support what it thinks it needs to support. Yeah, and if you don't yeah. give it the signals that these challenges are going to be part of its life that it needs to prepare for, that it needs to develop capacity for, then yeah. it's going to pull back. Right. In every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much, Kevin, for uh, everything. Before we go, though, I want to leave some time for you. Um, where can people find your book, your podcast, um, and everything that you have going on? I've made it easy. Just go to yourlifelivedwell.co. C-O. Okay. Your Life Lived right. Well, and there you can find everything. all there. of that stuff and social links and everything. Oh, so. beautiful. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Dalton. And I really, I really appreciated it. I enjoyed this. Be well. Bye.